Today, if you are here for the first time, let me just kind of catch you up. Week one of this series called Take a Vow, we looked at the correlation between a Jewish wedding festival and how that was a picture of God's relationship to us. Let me just kind of remind you about it. In God's relationship to us, here's what happens. God pursues us through the Holy Spirit. And as he pursues us, we have an offer on the table that we can accept salvation, which comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, the penalty, the payment that's made on our behalf, the blood sacrifice. We can choose that, and if we choose to be a part of that, then we enter into what's called a betrothal relationship, where we are bound to him. It's an everlasting covenant in which we look forward to being with God forever. And we do that through the power of his son. Now, the cool thing is, is that as we enter into that relationship, there's a couple of things that happen. One, we know that the groom, which is Jesus Christ, he's the picture of the bridegroom, he's gone to prepare a place for us. He told us in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, that he was going to, what, go and prepare a place. That if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may also be. So he's doing that. At the same time, as the church, as people who belong to God, what are we supposed to do? pure, stay vibrant in our relationship with him, that we're what? To uphold a righteous lifestyle, that we're to love him, to long for him, that we're to trust him as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we're waiting for this final consummation, this final union with him for all of eternity. And that's called the wedding feast. And so we're looking forward to that. And that's the picture of a wedding. The cool thing is, is that we see this entire picture in Genesis chapter 24. And there's four characters in this story that kind of help us see the heart of God. There's a guy named Abraham. And if you look at Abraham, the more you study him, the more that you really look at him in this text, you see that there's a striking correlation between this guy named Abraham and the God, God the Father. Matter of fact, did y'all know that Abraham's name uh, mentioned in the text actually means the father, father of multitude? I mean, that's his name. And then not only that, but he has a son eventually named Isaac. The cool thing, though, is you look at uh, the, the story and you see the heart of this guy named Abraham. He really does resemble the father, not just in the text, but also in his characteristics. One, he's a covenant-keeping type of guy. And so we talked about what it looked like for us to be covenant keepers, that we don't just enter into contract relationships. It's not just marriage and it's two people coming together off of what? Mutual distrust, dislike for one another. That's, the, that's your cell phone company. And so we, we didn't want to do that. We want to be covenant-keeping people. And that's the heart of God. That's the heart of Abraham. The other cool thing about Abraham, what did he want? He wanted all the nations of earth to be blessed through the seed of his son. Matter of fact, that's the promise that God made him. He said, Abraham, if you'll be faithful to me, he said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless all the earth through what? Your son. And that's what we want too, right? Like you're not holding your baby. Like there's some of you grandparents that just in the last about month here at Stone Point, you, your grandba- you know, grandbabies have been born. And like you're holding them, and you're like you aspire for them to be great. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, like, just don't turn out like my son, amen? No, I'm just kidding. Like, you're just like, you're, you look forward to great things, and you want not only your son to be a blessing, but your grandchildren to be blessings. And that's the idea of Abraham. Then you come to this guy named Isaac, and Isaac is the picture of a sacrificial son. And we looked last week at the correlation between him and Jesus. And uh, really, the challenge was, was threefold for you guys last week. And so I just put them up here for you. One, he, he submitted his what? Life to the Father. Two, he revealed the Father's heart in everything that he did. And then three, he lived a sacrificial lifestyle. And that's the idea of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true of Jesus? Submitted his life and will to the Father. 
As he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he, he literally sweat drops of blood, and he says, Lord, I'm going to give my life, but not, not my will, but what? Your will be done. He said, Lord, take this cup from me. Like, if there's any other way. But he says, I'm going to submit, submit myself to you. And he reveals the Father's heart that he gave his one and only son, John 3, 16. And he gave up himself as the greatest servant the world's ever known so that you and I could be blessed and have the inheritance of God our Father. It's the same picture of Abraham and Isaac. It's so cool. But today we're going to come to this guy in the story. I believe his name's Elizer, but in this text, he's the unnamed servant. Now, get this. The reason he's the unnamed servant, y'all ready for this? Is because great servants don't need recognition. Oh, let me say that one more time. Just so it hits home. Great servants don't need titles, position, power, and they don't need a name to be recognized. And so that's the cool thing about this text. You never see his name mentioned, not one time. I believe it's a guy named Eliza, and I'll show you why as we go through it. Uh, I, I, there's no way in the world that you would ever convince me otherwise. I believe that I get that correlation from Genesis 15 too, plus his name. I'll show some of that to you later. It's pretty cool. But the thing is that he has the heart of a servant. He, he, is the, he is the picture of the Holy Spirit. And so you got God the Father, you got God the Son, you got the Holy Spirit. And then there's one other character that we're going to get to next week. And I love this character. I love Rebecca. I love all that she uh, is about. I love her characteristics. I love her purity. I love her uh, desire. I, I love her commitment. I love everything about her. And the reason that I love her so much is because she is the picture of the bride of Christ, my friends. And so today we're going to camp out on this guy uh, called Eliza, which is the unnamed servant in here, which is the one person that God wants us to all be. And I'll tell you, if you resist the guy named the unnamed servant Elijah in this story, I promise you, your marriage will be fantastic. Every relationship you have will be fantastic because the Holy Spirit is oftentimes the person in the Trinity of God that gets the least amount of credit. There is so much due to him. Matter of fact, let me just explain this to you real quick. Do y'all know that the Holy Spirit is the author of all the scripture? Like the book that you have called the Bible, Biblia, all these books, 66 of them are inspired by the Holy Spirit. He gave them all to you. Not only that, do you know that he's the very one that as you read your Bible, he's the one that reveals to you the truth? Matter of fact, you can't know the truth unless the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You can't do it. It's him. The other thing is he's the comforter, he's the counselor, he's the ad advocate for you. Like he is the convictor of sin. He seals you as an earnest deposit. He's what guarantees you that you're going to make it to the wedding feast. It's because he, he lives in you, not what in a, a temple built by what, human hands? But what, built by God? And he lives in you. He's what shows you. He indwells believers. He intercedes for believers. Like even in moments when you don't know what to pray for, you don't even know what to ask for, the Spirit's already ahead of you. And he is working for you. He knows the things you need before you ever know them yourself. It is incredible. He's the spirit of life. Like, he's what gives you life. The spirit is what actually what gives you joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those fruits of the spirit, that he gives those to you. He is the teacher. He helps you see God's word at best. He does all of these things. Y'all get this? Like, and so here's the cool thing is as we go through this text in Genesis chapter 24, that I'm going to show you seven other things that the Spirit of God does that I didn't even name. And so they're, they're all here. We don't have to go anywhere else. They're all right here. And so uh, I just encourage you, please, please, please stay with me. Uh, I'm going to give them all to you. And uh, every single thing I give you, you need to know, is not only true of Eliza, the, the unnamed servant in this story, 
but it's true of the Holy Spirit as he works in our life. And that's the cool thing, okay? Awesome. Y'all with me? Amen. Awesome. Okay, I feel like a coach up here, like ready to go. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, let's pray so I stay on track. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning, and I pray that it's a blessing to all who hear, read, and understand. And Father, for those of us that struggle to see it, struggle to understand it, may your spirit make it known. Lord, would you soften our hearts to the word of God? Would you open up our eyes to let us see, our ears to let us hear? Lord, would you open up our hearts to be receptive? Lord, we know that we want to see you and to know you and to live for you. But Lord, we can't unless the Spirit indwells us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this text, uh, Genesis chapter 24, there's 60-some-odd verses here. And uh, we're going to read most of them. Now, the cool thing is, is that if you look at verses 1 through 9, you see this transaction taking place. And this is conversation between Abraham and this unnamed servant. And Abraham approaches his servant, a senior servant in his household, and he says, I need you to do something for me. He said, I need you to go and get a wife for my son. And then he begins to give him instructions after he takes this oath. And he said, this oath is important. He said, you're not just swearing on my name. He said, you're swearing for the God of heaven that you're going to do everything I ask you to do. And the servant says, tell me. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get a wife for my son, but you cannot get her from here. It cannot be among the land of the Canaanites. You've got to go and bring her back because there's not anyone in this land that loves the Lord and is going to be obedient like the people of my own family. And so go get her and bring her back. And then the servant says, well, what happens if she won't come? Do, do I take your son Isaac and do we go? And he said, by no means, do not take my son anywhere. This is the land that God has given us, and he is to stay here. Matter of fact, the angel of the Lord is going to go ahead of you. He's going to prepare a way. And if for some reason they will not let the daughter come back to you, then you're released from your oath. But see, Abraham is the picture of God, and he knew that God was going to intercede for him, and he knew that his son was what? Going to have a bride ready to go. And so look what happens in verse 10, the servant then, what, leaves. He takes with him 10 of his master's camels, loads them with all kinds of goods from his master, and he set out from Aram, Nehram, and he made his way to the town of Nahor. Now, the cool thing is, the very first thing here, do y'all see this? A nameless servant right here in verse 10 sends forth and goes to intercede for the father in getting a bride for his son. Do you see that? That is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Before you ever enter into a relationship with the father, and through the Son, do you know that the Holy Spirit has to pursue you into that relationship? Right. Yeah, He has to. Matter of fact, John 16, verses 7 through 11 is the perfect picture of that. But very truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. Jesus tells His disciples, it's best that I go away. Why? Because I'm going to bring an advocate who will come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world that what? To be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to go, go to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He goes, I am going to make everything known to you through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, it's best that I go away. Why? So that I send the helper, the advocate to you, who makes all things known. And he is the advocate on behalf of the Father. And that's the idea. And so you see the servant, he goes, loads up his master's camels, takes off for Nahor. Verse 11 says, he had the camels kneel down near the well outside of the town. It was toward evening, and the time of the women, they go out to draw water. And then he begins to pray. And this is the prayer that he says, Lord, 
God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring where the daughters of the townspeople were coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. And so he begins to pray. And do you know what's interesting? is like he doesn't even pray on his behalf. He prays for his master. Did you see that? He goes, I pray that you would meet all of the needs of my master Abraham, that you would show me very clearly. Now, I don't, I don't highly recommend praying for signs, okay? Like that's not always a good thing. But the thing is, is occasionally it happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like could you imagine, men, you're out there and you're like, you're looking for a wife. Like any rednecks in here looking for a wife? Like, here's a great thing. Take them out to feed the cows. You know what I'm talking about? If they start throwing hay out, then maybe she's the one. I mean, I don't know. Like, but that's essentially what he does. He says, Lord, I'm looking for a bride, and I need one who's going to water my men and give me something to drink, but going to take care of my animals too. And he said, Lord, if that happens, maybe she be the one. And he begins to look and watch, and, and then she comes out, and he's finishing up his prayer in verse 15, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. And the woman was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And the servant hurried over to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered her jar to a to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. Now, see, y'all don't even catch this, but the cool thing is, is I'm like, have you ever thought about watering a bunch of camels? It's a lot of water. It's a lot of trips. Like, she probably spent an hour and a half or two hours just watering this guy's camels. And all the while, you hadn't caught this either. Look at the next verse. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Like, all he's wanting to do is be the advocate of the Father. And this whole time, he's waiting to see if she's going to be divinely met and divinely called. Do you see this? Like, that's what they're looking for. Will she be divinely met and called for the servant? And for what? The, the bridegroom. And so, like, he's watching. She is going about, she's offered him water, and then she's just going about her business. And all the while, do you realize what he's not taken by? Her looks. She's beautiful. I mean, she, she's never been with a man. She has all of these things that you would want for your own son. You know what I'm talking about? Matter of fact, like men, do y'all know how like, right now what we're teaching our kids to be about? Beauty. And, and honestly, what we oftentimes do, let's just be honest, we look at them and we go, she'd probably be a really good friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, my wife's like, that's terrible. But that is how we're teaching people to date. We oftentimes say, what does she look like? And if she looks like the part, or he looks like the part, if he's handsome, if he is great, good stature, man, he's got some muscles to him, then maybe we can talk. In reality, you know the longer we're married that those things don't matter anyway, right? Amen. Uh-huh, uh-huh, amen. You ladies like, amen. <laughs> but the bottom line is that's not how we start off. Let's just be honest. 
That's why I'm so impressed by this servant, because he is never taken off by her beauty. All he's looking at is the heart. And while she is watering the camels, do you know what he prayed for? Lord, a very, the same woman that does this, she offers water, and then she goes and does all the camels. And even then, she, he still doesn't know. He's looking to make sure, like, Lord, is this right? It sounds very familiar to me, because, like, do y'all remember when, when uh, Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel? And he goes to a guy named Jesse who had eight sons. And, and he was like, Jesse, the Lord has told me that one of your sons is the next king of Israel. And Jesse's like, well, hey, man, meet this one. And he just starts showing him his sons. And like the first son's all ripped and chiseled. And I mean, he's about six foot four. I mean, would whoop anybody. You know what I'm talking about? Like he would be a great king of Israel. The Lord said, no. And then you get to the other one. I mean, he's like 6'5", 260. I mean, he is a beast. Can dunk on people. I mean, back in his teenage years. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the Lord goes, no, it's not him. And it just goes down the line. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, don't get me wrong. They're not all as impressive as the first two. But, I mean, they're all like, they would be great kings. The Lord goes, no, 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 no. And could you imagine being Jesse? You're like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? I, I mean, here it is. Like, this is the genetics I have. And he goes, well, don't you have another one? Yeah, I got another one. Well, where's he? He's out in the field tending the sheep. Well, bring him in. And can, like, can you imagine like the same David that put on the outfit to go and whip the Philistine, had to take it off because it just, it just bombarded him? He's the next king? Really? Like, seriously? Like, even Jesse, like, even his dad's like, God, like, seriously? Like, that's the best you can do? Like, I mean, you're going to take him? Well, see, that's the cool thing. God takes unlikely heroes and does amazing things with them. He loves unnamed servants. Loves it. Loves it. I really believe that one of the greatest works that God's doing here at Stone Point is that he's taking a bunch of ordinary people that would have never, ever fit in anywhere else, and he's used them beyond anybody's comparison or ability. It's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. People who seem like misfits or look like David, the armor didn't fit, didn't speak just right, just weren't eloquent. God's just used them, and it's just an amazing thing, and that's what the servant's looking at. He's not taken by her beauty, although she's beautiful in both stature and face. She's pure and she's clean. I'm going to get to, to her more next week, which is an amazing thing. But he's just watching and he begins to intervene and going to get this. Look at the next verse in 23 or 22. I'm sorry. When the camels had finished drinking and the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Do y'all know what that just, what happened just then? The servant made a payment for her. Isn't that true? The Holy Spirit calls on behalf of the father he pursues. Do you see that? He entrusts his will to what? The bride. He says, you're, the, you're it. He chooses. And then upon choosing, there's a payment made. And then not only that, get this, there's gifts that are given. You can take it two different ways. There's a payment made. There's a blood sacrifice. And then there's gifts given. Do you all know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there's something that happens? And you hear us all the time. We need you to get out of your chair and start serving. And some of you, like, you get frustrated. Like, I don't, I don't want to serve. I just want to come and enjoy it. No, no, no. The reason we do this is because unnamed servants are needed within the church. That's why you are the bride of Christ. 
Like God didn't take you out of the muck and the mire and all the junk that you were in only to set you up for a new purpose and a new agenda for you to do on your own. He draws you. He chooses you. He pursues you. You enter into a relationship based off the payment of his son, and he gives you these things called gifts, and they're spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1-7 says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or otherwise you, otherwise you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Meaning... He goes, you cannot enter into a relationship divinely chosen and met by God and then one day, two years later, go, oh, I think I'm an atheist now. It's not possible. You can't just one day say, I'm united in the Spirit, and then the next day walk away and say, I never knew Him. The reason that you say that is because you never knew Him in the first place. Like That's not how salvation works. Salvation doesn't take someone out of their sin, their muck, and their shame, only to set you on a higher ground, only for you to go backwards in the same muck and mire that you always were, and then you go, oh, I denounce him. The reason you denounce him is because you never knew him. That's why he denounces you. And then at the same time, he says, and no one can praise Jesus except those filled by the Spirit. Meaning, if you don't sing songs to the Lord, that's not just a reflection on you. Maybe it's the Spirit of God doesn't inhabit you. Because the people who praise the Lord are inhabited by the Spirit of God. He dwells in them. That's why grumpy, staunch old men don't sing. It's because you've either not been divinely called and met, or you're just rough and rugged around the edges. Like You have to decide. Like Which is it? Because if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you sing to Him. You praise Him. You give glory to Him. Why? Because you've been divinely met and called. He's lavished himself on you. Do you see this? Like, it makes me want to shout. I'm like, makes me want to shout. I mean, I don't know. I'm like, I mean, you know, I'm like, this is just amazing stuff. And then look what happens. 23, he goes, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is, is there room in the father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And then she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder. Come on, we got room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Do you see what he did? He's like, Lord, please give me all that I need. And then as soon as he does, he drops down. He's like, thank you, Lord. I mean, could you imagine going on this journey this pursuit of bride, and you're trusting that the Lord's going before you? Like, I mean, could you imagine this? Like, there are a lot of times, and let's just be honest, that you're like, Lord, I just need a sign. Okay, I just need a sign. And then he gives you a sign. And then at that moment, like, you want to run back to somebody, like, I promise this happened. And they're like, come on, dude, come on. You're like, no, seriously, it really did happen. Like, get this, okay? I'm going to just give you a quick story. I go and I speak to Archie Engeldow about this campus pastor in Edgewood. And I'm literally sitting at lunch with him. And he goes, I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, what? He's like, no, seriously. He's like, I'm praying this morning. And God outlines our whole conversation for, in front of me. To the detail. Matter of fact, you even said something just a second ago that God told me that you were going to say. And of course, I'm a pastor, so you know I've got abundant faith. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? So I never doubted him, you know? 
But like, could you imagine being in Archie's position and the Lord is like making it clear before you? Like, do you know what he did at that point? Like, he's high-fiving me, and like, he wasn't even like offering to buy my lunch at this point. He's like, I knew it! I knew it! I'll even buy your lunch, dude. It's so awesome. And because the Lord had just made it all right there in front of him. And could you imagine? And that's why he drops down and he starts praying. He's like, God, this is amazing. Praise be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. And then in 28, it says, The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man in the spring. Now get this. I mean, Laban sees his sister. She's adorned with this big old nose ring, uh, right? Wayne and Becca. He's like, what's a Becca? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> it's big. And, and then here's the deal. He's like, oh, my goodness. She's got bracelets on. Something's happening. You know what I'm talking about? And, and can, you know, like, can you imagine, like, at first, he probably gets all muscled up, like, oh, okay, what's happening? Who's this dude? And then you see this unnamed servant and all his followers. You're like, oh, never mind. I'm, ex- I'm supportive. I mean, <laughs> as soon as he had seen the nose ring, the bracelets in, on his sister's arm, he, he goes, hey, what's going on? And he goes and he sees the man standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. Amen. Yeah, that's what he says. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the men went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought to the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Do you see what he does? The servant goes, I cannot eat until I tell you exactly what happened. And then Elijah begins to outline a conversation. But he does not speak of his own initiative, but his father's. Look what he does. Do you see this? This is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never speaks of his own initiative, but always of the father's. Look. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. How did he identify himself? I am the master's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, born him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything that he owns. And my master made me swear on an oath and say, you must go and get a wife for my son, but you can't be from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you are to go to my father's family, to my own clan, and get a wife for my son. Sound familiar? Yeah, this is what the father told me. This is what my master said. Then I asked my master, well, what if the woman will not come back with me? Then he replied, the Lord, before whom I've walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey success so that you can get a wife for your son from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath, and when you go to my clan, they will refuse to give, uh, if they refuse to give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. Do you see what he does? He just speaks of the father's will. And that is the picture, my friends, of what the spirit does. He speaks not of his own initiative, but of the father's. And then look what happens. He just begins to share more of the story. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey in which I've come. See, I am standing beside this spring. And if a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me have a drink from your water jar. And she says to me, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that I've chosen for my master's son. And before I had finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said, please give me a drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Could you imagine this? What a cool thing. 
And so I drank, and she watered the camels also for two hours. We just sit there, and she waters my camels. Man, who doesn't want a bride like that? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, baby, I'm going to nestle up by the fire. You mind going and feeding the camels? Rednecks, I'm sorry. You mind going and feeding the cattle? You know, you know, like, I had a guy last night go, hey, man, I was hoping the Holy Spirit spoke to my wife tonight. Hey, man, I'll try to be an advocate for you. I got her off in the corner, man. I was like, hey, you know what it looked like to serve your husband, right? What? Feed the cattle. That's what, that's what, the, that's what God told me. I don't know. That's what I got. I don't know. We'll find out next week whether or not it worked. <laughs> then he asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, I'm the daughter of Bethel, the son of Nahor, who milk aboard him. Then I put a ring in her nose and bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so that I'll know which way to turn. He says, I'm putting it in your hands. And then look what Laban and Bethuel, the dad and the brother, said. This is from the Lord. We cannot say anything to you one way or the other. Here's Rebekah. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord directed. And when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry, and articles of clothing, and he gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And essentially, here's what you have. You see that the father lavishes gifts on all that what are related to the bride. And he gives gifts to the family. And, and like here's the cool thing. He begins to show the family that it's actually better to leave the old life for a new one with the son. And do, do you see this picture, friends? Like, like here's the cool thing. Christ pursues you. He wants to enter into a relationship with you. Many of you, even right now, God's just knocking on the door of your heart. Like he wants a relationship with you. He wants you simply to enter into that covenant relationship, that betrothal commitment to say, I am going to follow you. I'm going to leave my life. But the struggle is for many of you in this room and many of the people that we talk to about Jesus is that for whatever reason, they believe that the life they now hold on to is actually better than the riches that the Father actually has to offer. And when the servant lavishes gifts, not only on Rebecca, but the family, they have no choice but to say, we can't provide for you what they can. Go. And they see this opportunity for their daughter to be the bride of a faithful son, this master, in which what? The father had given everything he had and lavished it on his son so that his son could take it and lavish it on what? The bride. It's this perfect picture who God gave up his son as an ultimate sacrifice to lavish himself on all who would believe in him, confess with their mouth, and believe in their heart that he is Lord. And when that happens, you enter into this awesome relationship. The struggle is, and this is the struggle for so many Christians, like honestly, at what point do you think that the life that you've made for yourself is better than the life that God wants to have for you? Like, at what point do you think that this world offers you more than what God the Father has offered you? And that's the tension in this story, and that's the tension in our lives. There are many of you that you don't want to come to Jesus Christ. You don't want to follow him because you wonder, is what the Father has for us, is it better than what I've made for myself? Like, you, you contemplate that. You really struggle with that. At the same time, you are often presented with that challenge because you know of a bunch of Christians who are failing to live out what the Father's lavished on them, and they've made it confusing for you. 
Because they've actually made you believe that the life here on earth is actually better than the life in eternity lavished with the Father's gifts. And they're not using their spiritual gifts. They're not displaying the characteristics of the Son or of the Father because they're not doing their part. And because of that, there's this tension of confusion that's happening. And that's why we say here at Stonewall, like, we're not interested in you just sitting and soaking. Like, we're just not. We want to get you plugged in. We want to get you moving forward. Why? Because, because that's the way that God's designed you. Not for our benefit, for, for your benefit, for your faithfulness to be a part of what God wants to do in your life. And that's the picture here. And so, like, I love Rebecca. We're going to talk more about her, but... Look kind of what happens. He lavishes stuff. He calls her. Then he and the men, verse 54, who were with him, they ate and they drank and they spent the night together. Then they get up the next morning. He says, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us for 10 days. Then you may go. And look what the, son, or the servant says. No. Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted me success to my journey, send me on my way so that I may go to my master. No. When Jesus Christ redeems you, do you think that he is interested with the idea of, hey, can I enjoy that gift of salvation, but can I just can remain right here? Like, can, can I just keep doing the same thing? Maybe, the, maybe keep sinning so that grace may increase? What was Paul's response to that? By no means. You, you don't just live in the muck and the mire simply because you think that's comfortable. The servant says, no, you leave that and you follow your master. And then when they say, well, why, why, don't, we, why, don't, we do, why don't we let her have a say? I love Rebecca's response. Look, look what happens. So they, recall, they call Rebecca in, verse 58. Will you go with this man? Yeah, I'll go. That's it. I mean, didn't have to expand on it anymore. She already saw that the father was faithful and that the son was going to be great. They've already done all the responsibility. Like they've been true to their word. They've done everything they were supposed to do. And she said, yeah, I'll go. And so they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offerings possess the city of their enemies. And you see at that point that the bride was then entrusted to the servant's care until she met the son. You see that? This, my friends, is what you call the church age. This is where we are right now. Do you know right now that you're actually entrusted to the care of the Holy Spirit right now? Yes. He has sealed you for the great day of the wedding feast. He is preparing the way for you. He is what allows you to know what's right from wrong. He is what guides you. He's what brings comfort to you. That's not Jesus, my friends. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Like, that's why I'm like, do you not realize that the same spirit that led Moses and all of those Israelites across the Red Sea is the same spirit that lives in you? You're like, well, I just need some more Jesus. No, no, what you need to do is tap into the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's what you need to do. Quit buying into this lie that I'm this filthy, nasty, sorry sinner and actually run to Jesus Christ who's given you all that you need to live a life worthy of the call of God. All that you need. He's lavished every gift you need. He's given all the support that you need. And the bottom line is that you view yourself as a filthy, nasty bride rather than one like Rebecca who's pure and worthy of a great sacrifice to the Son. Why? Because you're great and worthy on your own? No. Because the Son has given you all that you need 
through him, the redemptive power of the cross, and through the what? Display of the Holy Spirit in your life. Wow, makes me want to shout. I mean, like, I don't know. Do y'all get this, church? Like, maybe an amen? And there's some of you like, man, I hate when he does that. I hate, I hate when he does that. If you hate it, you clearly don't understand what God's done. And the bride gets and she gets going. In 61, Rebecca and her attendants got ready to mount the camels. They go back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi. He was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw the camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. And she got down from her camel. She asked the servant, who is this man that's coming from the field to meet us? And his ma- uh, he is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Do you see that? Now, catch this. All the while, do you know what, what the servant's job, the unnamed servant, like, do you know what he's doing the whole time? He's being completely obedient to his master. Did you see that? Master. But do you realize who he refers to the master as? Let me just kind of give it to you, just so you know. In, in verses 9, 10, 27, 35, 36, 37, 42, 48, 50, and 52, he refers to his master as the father, Abraham. And then in 65, he refers to his master as the son, which is named Isaac. My friends, do you all see this? This is the, the work of the Trinity in Genesis 24. Amen. You have three distinct Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All a triune God, all with order, but yet with what? Diversity. They have particular roles, but they're diverse in their gifts and what they do. The Father is the master master architect. The Son is the perfect sacrifice in which all the world was not only created, but could be recreated for His purposes to have a relationship with God. And as the as the, as the Son gives Himself up and goes back to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit now indwells the hearts of believers, what? To make you look like the Son. And this is perfect picture of the Trinity. It's this perfect picture of submission. And, and here's what's awesome, is that do you realize that God the Father never submits Himself to anyone? But the Son always submits to the Father, right? And the Holy Spirit always submits to the Son and also to the Father. It's the perfect picture right here. This is it. This is the picture of the Trinity. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, you see this picture and how it all works. But when he said, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. And this is Jesus saying this. He's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, is what Jesus said. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He goes, the spirit only speaks when he hears from me. And so the disciples are like freaking out. They're like, we've given our lives to you. Like we've followed you for three years. Now you're going away. You're going to prepare a place for us. And old Thomas, the doubter's like, we're, like we don't even know what that looks like. You're going to go to prepare a place? Like we don't even know where that is. Like if we don't know where it is, how do we know that you're going to come back to us? And then Jesus is like, I'm going to send a, a helper. And he's going to speak as if I am here with you. And he'll speak not only of his, not of his own initiative, but of mine. And then in verse 15, he says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. You see Jesus subjecting himself to the Father. He goes, I hear from the Father. And then I share with him whatever he needs to know. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. 
And there's just this order and there's diversity. And it's the picture of what God has for us. It's just awesome. The question is, like, you look at that and you go, okay, awesome. I see, I see the picture of the Father. I, I see a picture of the Son. I see a, a, a picture of the servant, the Holy Spirit. I, I get that. Now, what's that have to do with marriage? I'm glad you asked. Here it is. Y'all ready for it? A couple things, and I'm going to do it in three minutes. One, you need to strive to be a helpmate to your spouse. In Genesis 2.24, it says, For this reason, a man should leave his father and be united to his wife, that they may be one flesh. Do you, do you understand that? Y'all heard that? Okay, now catch this. Here's the cool thing. I started just kind of browsing around this week. I love to go back to the original language, kind of check it out. And so I was like, okay, well, I stumbled across 2.18, which says that God's looking around after six days of creation. He goes, everything has been good. Everybody, everything's good. All things are great. And he goes, but there's one problem. I'm looking at Adam, and he looked kind of lowly over there. There's no helper for him. Nothing suitable for him. And so he makes a, a helper suitable for what? Adam. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you see that that's what God's going to do. He's going to make a suitable helper for Adam. Well, if you look at the word helper, it actually in Hebrew is this word called ezer. If you take this guy in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, Eliezer or Eliezer, however you want to name him, Elohim is the same God mentioned in Genesis 2 as he is the Lord when Abraham prays and the servant prays to the Lord. It's the same. It's Elohim, the God of help, the God that we need. El is always God, God of, El Shaddai, God of, God of. If you take Eliezer or Eliezer's name and you see he is the helper and you take El, it's God's helper. That's why I'm convinced that the unnamed servant is the picture of the Holy Spirit in Genesis 24. The better picture is this. What would it look like if you were a helpmate to your spouse? Like, what if you surrendered yourself to be the helper that you're called to be? Like, what would it look like? Not only that, the other thing that, that this servant does is he comforts people. What would it look like if you were a comforter for your spouse? Like, some of you men, like, like you pride yourself on being gruff and tough. And I can't say it in this building, but you're a, you're a tough whatever you want to call yourself. And the question is, like, why do you pride yourself in that? Like, it, it, that's not really the heart of God. That's really not what God wants of us men. God wants us to be molded and shaped men. We're not to look what our, our fathers made us to be or what our grandfathers made us to be. We're not to teach our sons to throw down at a moment. We're, ta- we're actually not to teach our sons to be fighters, but to be what? Lovers. My dad taught me to be a lover, not a fighter. You know what I'm talking about? I run from fights. I'm like, that's why I have Toby Rabble. <laughs> and so like, y'all want to mess with me? I'm like, y'all talk to them. I don't... But really, don't you want to be known for someone that's a lover, not a fighter? Like, don't you want to be known as a comforter? Men, what would it look like if you were comforting to your wife, that you were supportive, that you were the helpmate that God designed you to be? Ladies, what would it look like if you were the comforter and the helper that God designed you to be, that you're actually what makes your husband go? Like, Kelly and I are are a team. Like, she has so many gifts that God's given to her that make us an awesome team. I mean, there are so many things that she provides to our, na- our, our relationship and how she nurtures and comforts our kids. And Like, she's just a phenomenal mom. And, like, God has just balanced us out to where I'm able to, to be a helper to her and she's a helper to me. And, like, people 
oftentimes don't see that in the relationships, but that's the design. God's given us the design to be helpers and comforters. Why? Because that's the design of God. That's what he wants to do. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the last thing is this, is that we would intercede for one another more. Do you know that the Holy Spirit, I said this earlier, is interceding with you? Let me just read it to you. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Like the Spirit's even working. Like when you don't even know what to ask for, the Spirit's working in your life. Like what would it look like if you became a little more intercessory for your spouse? Like you're praying for them. Like there's a lot of you in here that you're like wondering, you know, we've talked a lot about the 4C survey for our members. And if you're not a member, then you didn't have to take the 4C survey. But you may even be wondering, like, what do we do with that? Do you realize that the reason we're doing a marriage series is a result of the 4C surveys that we did? Let me just give you one statistic that kind of brought to my attention as we kind of study it. 57% of our couples, so almost six out of every 10 couples, don't pray together regularly. About 40% of those couples don't pray together at all in a given week. I'm actually in that. My wife and I pray together less than two days a week together. And we're not interceding together enough for each other and for our families. And that's an area that we have to improve. And that's an area that we have to be better at. But guys, if the Spirit of God does that, and you see Elijah interceding for his master, like the heart of God is that we would intercede for our wife and our kids. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And so that's an area right there that we, I think we can all improve in. Would you agree? Yes, that we could be praying for one another, that we could be interceding for one another better. Why? Because that's the heart of a servant. Matter of fact, let me just close with this. Y'all realize that we live in a day and age of fancy titles? Y'all, y'all know that? So like used to, about 10 years ago, it was a secretary. Now it's an administrative assistant, you know? Yes, you got it? Used to, is just the garbage guy. Now it's the waste management guy. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yes? It's like we live in a day where we try to build each other up. I love Paul, though, as he relates to himself as a servant. He actually used the word doulos. Doulos literally means bondservant, or better yet, if you really look at it, it means slave. He basically says, I am a slave to Christ. And if you look at the servant here, the servant has something unique about him. That If you, if you understand the context of Jewish culture, there's something unique about this servant here. What's unique about him is if it's Elijah of Damascus, which you see in Genesis chapter 15, you see that he has been with Abraham and his household for a long, long time. You go, well, what's significant about that? Well, here's the cool thing. In Jewish tradition, a slave would actually be bound to a servant for a particular point in time, and it could be because he's paying off a debt, or it could be because for whatever reason he was bought, but regardless, that slave or that servant would be working under the master, but God puts some requirements and design on a servant-master relationship. And the way he did it was this. Just like creation, you had six years, and then you had a seventh, which was forgiveness or rest. Well, a servant relationship to his master would be this. You were locked in a relationship with the master, and you were to serve him diligently, but in the seventh year, as it approached, the master had to let you go that you were free to, all your debts were taken care of, everything was paid, and you and your family could leave, and there was nothing that bound you anymore. That was God's design. And if the master was a good master, he would have to let you go. But let me ask you a question. Like, what if you were the servant, though? Like, what if you are Eliza in the story? And what if you recognize that the father that you serve, the master that you serve is good? And he comes to you just before the day of that seventh year, and he says, Eliza... Man, you've served me faithfully. And man, you've been good. 
But brother, I got to let you go in accordance with the scriptures. And what if Eliezer looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, man, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave, man. I, I, you've been good to me, man. Before I came into your household, my kids didn't eat. We didn't have a place to lay our head. I mean, we just roamed. I mean, we didn't even have a house. Like, it was just bad. And Abraham, you've fed us and you've clothed us and we've never... I mean, look at, look at my little roly-poly little daughter over there. I mean, look at her. She's plump and she's full and... Man, look at those cheeks. Hey, man, I'm just thinking of my daughter. But do you see the master's goodness? And Eliezer looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, I don't want to leave. You've lavished yourself on us. And at holidays, my kids open gifts just like yours. You have treated me as if I was your son. You have given me everything I needed. Matter of fact, Abraham, if Isaac was never born to you and Sarah, you were going to give it all to me. I love you. I love your heart. I want to stay. And at that point, Abraham took an awl, or that's what they would do in a Jewish custom. And it was kind of like an ice pick. And they would stand before a door, and he would take them, and he would pierce their ears. And it, it was a binding covenant relationship that the servant would be obedient to the master until they died. And they were no longer bound by the seventh year. And my friends, do you understand that this is what it looks like when you're, servant, you're bound to the master? You, you serve him. And the reason why you serve him is because you realize that life before him was not as good as what he's given. That's why we honor God with our lives. And honestly, do you realize that, that the day that you put this on was the day that you made a binding covenant? And it's not as much reflective as your marriage and what you live with or you don't live with. It's not about their expectations and what they don't do for you and what you wish. No, what you did is you simply said, I want to serve my spouse just like Eliza served the master because the master's good. And if the master's good and I reflect my master in all things that I do, let me explain something to you. You'll not have a, pr a problem in marriage. Do you realize that all problems in marriage actually come when we're selfish and we're self-seeking and we don't have the attitude of Jesus Christ? And so the picture here is like, you want a healthy marriage? Become an unnamed servant. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you, Lord, that you reveal the Father's heart to us in ways that we can't even understand. I thank you, Lord, that this story is rich and it's meaningful and it has great, great beauty in it. I thank you, Lord, for a bride that's willing to leave her family and to follow after a servant uh, and a master that she never saw coming. And, uh, Father, I just pray that we would have that same attitude, that same heart. And, Lord, I pray that as we leave and embark on our own journeys today, that we would be faithful servants looking to be a helpmate, a comforter to our spouse because we exemplify and honor you in our lifestyle. In Jesus' name, amen.